Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Julie, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, December 18th, Wednesday, December 18th. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are at XXIX, the second paragraph that starts with Men Have Cried. Today's readers are Fran, Michelle, Sharon, and Penny C. The reference number for Tuesday, December 17th, is 5641. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Sarah W. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Sarah W. from Iowa. Here are the steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God who ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. And continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry the message impulsive overeaters, and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Sarah. I will now have Nancy T. read the 12 traditions. Thank you, Julie. Good morning, everybody. This is Nancy, a compulsive overeater in Lewiston, Idaho, with the 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. A loving God is may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. 
three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop using compulsive groups. Or each group should be autonomous, accepting matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive reader who still suffers. Six, an OA group are never endorsed, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Thus, problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Thank you, Nancy. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book. and We are on page XXIX second paragraph, starting with Men Have Cried. We'll ask Fran to begin reading. Good morning, Julie. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Fran, compulsive overeater. Men have cried out to me in sincere and despairing appeal. Doctor, I cannot go on like this. I have everything to live for. I must stop, but I cannot. You must help me. Faced with this problem, if the doctor is honest with himself, he must sometimes feel his own inadequacy. Although he gives all that is in him, it is often not enough. One feels that something more than human power is needed to produce the essential psychic change. Though the aggregate of recoveries resulting from psychiatric effort is considerable, we physicians must admit we have little impression upon the problem as a whole. Many types do not respond to the ordinary psychological approach. And uh, Dr. Silkworth worked with about 40,000 um, alcoholics. And uh, before this program of recovery, they had very little results. People either went into asylums or died. There wasn't any answers so um, how beautiful it is that the program of recovery 
uh, gives a way out to this spiritual malady. And all it requires is a few simple rules. To uh, For us, it's to be abstinent and then to apply the 12 steps, which is basically trust God, clean house, and help others. And I pass. Thank you, Fran. Would anyone like to share on this paragraph? This is Katie G. from Boston. This is Katie. Okay, so Katie G. from Boston first, and then the other Katie. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thanks, Julie. This is Katie G., recovered compulsive overeater from Boston, Mass., and grateful to be here absent and sober by the grace of God. And I love these two paragraphs. Um, You know, the first thing I I see is that, okay, um, you know, we're crying out. I have everything to live for. I can't stop, but I can't. You must help me. Well, this is, again, um, this is kind of foreshadowing um, the later in the book where it talks about, A, we are alcoholic and cannot manage our own lives. B, that no human power can relieve our alcoholism. And C, that God can and will if he has thought. No human power, right, guys? Like, just, uh, you know, un- unbeknownst to me, I thought that getting, getting thin, getting the man, getting my stuff, having stuff to live for was going to help me stop but no human power can stop me. You know, I could have all the money in the world, and if I put that food into my body, it's still going to set up the phenomenon of craving. It doesn't matter if I'm in Boston, Massachusetts, or if I'm in Malawi, Africa. I still have this disease. And moving on, this doctor is faced with his inadequacy, and it says one mu- that one feels that something more than human power is vital. This essential psychic change, vital. And what does essential mean? Essential means vital. And what is vital? It's life-giving psychic change of the soul and mind. Like, I don't need just a little bit of an attitude adjustment, right? I don't, my diet, whatever that is, doesn't need a little bit of a torque. I need an entire psychic change. That means I need to turn around entirely. I need, I'm like a burnt-out house. You got to gut me you got to gut me from the basement up, right? Because I'm not going to respond to the normal, to the ordinary psychological approach. I mean, how many physicians? My dad is, was a doctor in, uh, in Boston. He sent me to the best eating disorder psychologist, the best one with all of the medications and the everything, and no human power could fix me, and I am not trashing the psychological approach at all, but I'm just saying for me, I have to have an entire psychic change because it is only God that can take this selfish, dishonest, self-centered, and afraid woman who uses food as a solution for her whole life and give me the life that I have today. And thank you, God, I have had an entire psychic change, you know, that I don't look at at life the way I used to and that every day is an opportunity to see things differently by living in 10, 11, and 12. So if you're new, hold on to your seats. This program is amazing, and these, these steps will guarantee you an entire, a vital, essential psychic change. Oh, with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie T. Uh, Katie? This is Katie in Virginia. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Thank you. Go ahead. Good morning. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Faced with this problem, if a doctor is honest with himself, he must sometimes feel his own inadequacy. And as a sponsor and as a person who has recovered, 
you know, I am inadequate to change another person. All I can do is tell them what I have done. And when I was in the grips of this disease, I sat in OA rooms and I would hear people who were recovered say what they did and I would put up my hands and say, I surrender, I surrender, I, I don't want to live like this, I don't want to be like this, I must stop. And they would tell me what they did and I would, you know, say, well, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to go that far. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, uh, you know, weigh and measure my food in front of my family or I don't want to, you know, not go out to lunch today. I mean, I don't, you know, I wasn't willing to put down my binge foods. I wasn't willing to look honestly at what I was doing with the food. And, you know, I, nobody, no human being in the world could convince me that I needed to stop, to really stop. It had to come from God. And that was the turning point for me was when that key of willingness and honesty collided and I was ready to do whatever my sponsor told me to do. You know, if someone calls me and they say, what do you do? I tell them what I do. And if they don't want it, then they, you know, if they don't want to do that, then that's their business, you know. Um, but I cannot uh, tell someone that something's going to work if it's contrary to what has been my experience. Um, and this doctor, you know, he was willing to admit that all all of the medical Am I back? Yes, you are. Okay. All of the medical information in the world could not get me abstinent. It had to come from a power greater than myself. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Um, would anyone else like to share um, these paragraphs? Could I share? Uh, yes, and your name? I'm Mary from New Jersey. It's the first time I've ever shared on this line. Hi, Mary. Go ahead. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for the reading. And the thoughts I got was um, I was at my doctor's many times this year. Mary, what the heck is wrong with you? Why can't you stop eating? Just like they were saying, Doc, you got to help me. And um, and the truth really is, as it says in the big book, we really we really don't know why. I don't know why I picked up. I did have abstinence. I got cancer. But that was not an excuse. And it was so beautiful. Um, you know, I really never knew when I would get a day one. And October 21st, you know, I was just able to turn, really turn it over to God. And I've been abstinent now for 58 days. And, you know, I was really very sick. My disease, that diabetes running rampant. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, I don't like to take medicine, period but I was forced to because the sugar was so high, 180 pills. And everybody in the world, I guess, can take metformin, but I'm one of those people that can't take it. And I got deathly ill. So anyway, with God's help, you know, I just couldn't do it. I was just trying to do it without God, and I thought, why can't I? I kept asking God every day, why can't I get abstinent? Why can't I get abstinent? Because the truth really was that, I wanted to eat the way I did, and I was waiting 
that God somehow was going to let me eat this way and somehow he was going to make my body function in a way that, you know, I could be this thin, beautiful person without without consequences. So I'm just so grateful. And my girlfriend on my other bridge uh, shared with us about this big book study for two hours. You guys are amazing. And I'm looking forward to hearing all of you today. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Mary. Would anyone else like to share? This is Bella. Can I share? Somebody after Bella. Who was that? Monica. Lois. Monica, and I believe Laura. So let's start with you, Bella. Lois. Oh, Devorah. Devorah. Got it. Okay, go ahead, Bella. Good morning. Thank you. My name is Bella, and, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Julie, for leading this meeting, and thank you very much, everybody that is on the line. I love this paragraph. A more than human power is needed. Wow, thank God, thank God I am now and here. Before the program, I knew that I am human, but I really didn't accept and admit that I am human. I knew that I am perfect, that everything I, I need to do is to change the whole entire world. You know, I don't have to change nothing. I am a wonderful person. I am the most honest person. I, I am the most smart person. And everybody else is there and he's doing mistakes. And I thought that, you know, I have the power to change their life, not mine. You know, I am suffering because of you, because of them, because of everybody else, but not because of me. I didn't realize that what means human, that, well, Bella, wake up, you have limitations. I didn't want to accept that, no, I know everything. And if I, I have to learn something or if I have to say, oh, I am sorry, I did a mistake. No, 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 no it's not for me. I, I, I don't have any failures. And thank God, thank God it's a miracle that now I am in the program and I know more than human power, yes, I am human, and I am human. It means that I have limitations, and not, it's not my failure. It's not, it's not a bad thing. It's nothing. I am human because this is the way God created me. And no, I don't know everything, and I am willing to learn more and to know new things. To, to hear new experiences, and no, I cannot do it with other human power. I cannot do it only uh, if I will get the help of a doctor, of a psychiatrist, or a social worker. No, we are in the same. We are all human. I need a power greater than myself. I need the power of God. God is more than me, more than everybody else. I am, I, I am limited. God not. And this is, it teaches me, it brings me to face reality without blame and shame and guilt. No, it's nothing to do with me. I am human. I need the power of God. And this is the most peaceful feeling, no, Bella, wake up. It's nothing to do with you. You just have to be connected to God. This is the power that will help you if you just 
show the will that you want, that you are ready to, that you are willing. And it's all about one day at a time. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Monica, would you like to share? Yes, thank you, Julie. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. So here we are in the doctor's opinion, and we are reading the letter from Dr. Silkworth here, who has written this so nicely for for the alcoholics who are writing this book. And I find it so interesting here what Dr. Silkworth is saying. You know, he is a, he is a medical doctor. He's a man of science. You know, and and it's it's science. Everything's science based. Medicine fact base. And here he is saying that, you know, if a doctor is honest with himself, he must sometimes feel his own inadequacy. And what inadequacy this doctor must have felt. I was told that he worked with over 50,000 people and he had about a 2% success rate. So, you know, he, he knew that what he was doing wasn't the great you know just wasn't given results that he wanted to see and the fact that he admits this we physicians must admit we have made little impression upon the problem as a whole you know they they regard this guy as a medical saint the aa people and and i have to agree with that here is a medical doctor a man of science and he's saying you know what i don't have the answers i i just don't have the answers i don't know what to do and it's so interesting that also another medical doctor said the same thing. Carl Jung, or a psychologist, I mean, excuse me, a psychologist, Carl Jung gave this message to Roland Hazard that, yeah, what he had seen that had worked when after he gets done telling Roland Hazard that he is hopeless and there's nothing more he can do for him, that, yes, there is something he's seen that's worked. It's called a spiritual awakening, a phenomena. And here is Dr. Silkworth saying the same thing. Something greater than mankind is needed here. And so I really thank these men of science for what they gave to us. That we need, that we have a spiritual problem and we need a spiritual solution. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. And Devorah, you'll be our last reader on this paragraph. Melanie? Oh, Melanie. Okay, Devorah? Hi. Hi, everyone. My name is Devorah. I'm a compulsive overeater in New Jersey, recovered. Thank you, God, today. Um, You know, this paragraph reminds me, I was always on the other end. How many times I went to doctors and they always said to me, talked to me, oh, Devorah, you you have a family. You're killing yourself, you know, the diabetes, the high blood pressure. 150 pounds overweight, what are you doing to yourself? Just stop eating. Just stop eating. And I I, I hated going to doctors. I would try to find new doctors to avoid those speeches because I didn't didn't know. I I, I avoided it. I I was living in a a world of I could do this one day. I'm going to get enough willpower, and I'm going to be able to mix to with this thing. And... um, for decades, this went on, and uh, I couldn't. I just couldn't. I was totally um, whipped, <laughs> beaten. And um, until I came into this program and 
support a spiritual uh, solution. You know, thank you, God. The miracle is here in these rooms, in this book. Um, you know, now I go to the doctors, and the doctors say to me, what are you doing? And they refer people to me. I get calls from doctors who say, doctor, somebody told me to call you. And, um, you know, I tell them what I do. Do they come to meetings? Do they want to do what I do? I'm just a messenger. You know, I just, I can't cure anybody. It's not my, I'm not God. But I spread the message of recovery. And, um, and you know, I'm just so grateful. I have another day today uh, living in the solution and not in the denial, which I did for so many years. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Deborah. And Melanie? Oh, thanks, Billy. Hi, everyone. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Oregon, and I am looking at this um, in reference to the paragraph before, which um, talked about the implementation of steps four through nine, and which made the difference. And then when I dig deeper into here, I'm looking at the uh, possibility that the right hand may not have known what the left hand was doing in, in terms of there's more things going on here that this doctor, without his um, uh, broadening of his science in, in, into the realm of, of the spirit, could offer anybody. So he was doing everything he could up to his ability, and that was alluded to already with what Monica was sh- sharing about. And then I even go deeper, and I ask myself, how many times did I go into a doctor's office um, sober without my food? And we're talking, you know, he's talking in my mind to somebody that's under the influence, and he has a limitation of science. I'm under the influence. I'm not really telling the truth. I'm not saying all that's going on with me. And here we got this mess going on. We don't know what's going on. We don't have the, 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 um, the idea of the steps that were alluded to in the paragraph before. And so once that part has is, is been sunk, we have no hope. And he is frustrated. I'm frustrated. None of us know. We weren't told what what more we needed to do. And that's certainly been my experience throughout my time. I didn't know. I wasn't told. I had no idea. And here we are at this particular place. And I think that that's kind of what he's saying And is that we were at our wit's end. We were at the limits of what we knew. The um, I myself as a drunk was not sharing all the honesty of what I was up to and what was going on for me. I just wanted to be cured of the situation. And we're, our hands are just completely tied simply, and we're going to learn more as we go on how this continues to unfold and works out. But I believe it's attached to the paragraph before where they've already implemented, or at least introduced the idea of the implementation of steps four through nine. And each party here are at the limits of their ability to know. And certainly if I'm going to a doctor, I was never sober. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Melanie. Um, And I think we'll move on to the next paragraph. Michelle, would you please read? Good morning, Julie. <clears throat> Good morning, Vision for You. This is Michelle H., a recovered compulsive overeater in Missouri. Grateful to God for that. I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. I have had many men who had, for example, worked a period of months on some problem or business deal which was to be settled on a certain date favorably to them. They took a drink a day or so prior to the date. And then the phenomenon of craving at once became paramount to all other interests so that the important appointment was not met. These men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome 
a craving beyond their mental control. And so <clears throat> Dr. Silkworth um, further develops that, you know, um, not only does he believe that that there's more than a human power or a psychologist that can produce this um, psychic change, he's he's telling us why, um, because he believes it's more of a it's a problem, not entirely of mental control, that uh, he can explain this to people, or that it's, you know, because of um, some emotional or mental defect, defect in the mind, um, that you know I'm I'm drinking or I'm compulsively overeating because of of some trauma, and if I could just you know understand my reasoning, um, you know, with a psychologist, then you know then I'm going to be able to stop. Um, but it's beyond that. It, it's not entirely a problem of that. And and what really jumped out to me this time when reading this, when I'm reading Dr. Silkworth's example, was that, you know, that this person that he's given an example, he doesn't drink on the date. Um, he drinks a day prior to, a day or so prior to. And I was thinking, you know, that sounds like me, thinking that I still had some control because I'm not going to drink on the day or I'm not going to compulsively overeat um, really close to this event because I still think I've got some control. I'm going to believe the lie that this time I can have a little bit, but but then it goes beyond my thinking and my willpower that this time I can control a little bit because at once that phenomenon of craving became the most important thing, became paramount. It was the most important thing. It was the thing that was driving me. It didn't matter if I had any other plans going on. It didn't matter if there was anybody else who had needs or anybody else that was there. They were just in my way uh, once that phenomenon of craving became the most important thing. And, and I succumbed again to that phenomenon of craving. And so I wasn't necessarily drinking to escape. I wasn't necessarily... Um, you know, had had planned to um, to compulsively overeat because I still was believing the lie that I could control it, and so what what took me over was that that craving beyond which I have any mental control, and and I remember that day when I finally said I must stop, but I cannot. I must stop, but I cannot, and there's nothing more than I can do, and had a day or two of where I had put the food down and walked into a a big book retreat and I heard I heard this like I was hearing it for the first time and <clears throat> really hearing that I, I you know it was beyond my control and the the paragraph that as they developed this book as they started breaking down this big book you know chapter by chapter um you know it takes me always to page 24 at a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail, and I had reached that point. Um, the tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case before it is even suspected, and here it was, those italics that I heard for the first time. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reason yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are, we are without defense against the first drink, and we are without defense against the first drink and the first compulsive bite. I finally heard it. You know, I heard this person say that once I pick up and that phenomenon of craving starts, 
I will never, ever, 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 and that ever and never went on for infinity in my mind when she said it, ever regain control on my own willpower because it is non-existent. And, you know, the, the answer, the solution was finally brought into my consciousness because I was willing to hear it. I had been beat down. I said, I must stop, but I cannot. And time after time after time, that phenomenon of craving became of paramount importance to me, and I, I, I didn't have a solution. And I was so ready and willing to hear the answer. And it always brings me back when, I, when I'm reading this, these paragraphs and hearing it read on the line to that wonderful day in October of 2010 when I had been beat down enough and was willing enough to hear these words and so grateful, so grateful that these words were written down to tell me that, you know, that, that I am chasing after this, this phenomenon of craving and it is beyond my mental control. There's nothing I can do. Um, <sighs> and then there is an answer. There is an answer. There is a solution, as Dr. Silkworth is, is, is explaining to us, that it is, it's beyond human power and it's there and it is possible. And as this big book went on to be developed for me as it's being developed on this line, on a vision for you, um, there is hope. But first, I have to admit that I can't stop on my own. And thanks for letting me share. I'll pass. Thank you, Michelle. Would anyone like to read on this paragraph? Monica. Katie from Boston. Okay, so I have Monica. I have Katie, and there was one other person. Kim. Kim. Okay, so Monica, Katie, and Kim. Thank you. Thank you, Julie. Monica, again, still a recovered compulsive overeater. So here we are again, a doctor's opinion, and he is saying here, he's trying to teach us something here in this paragraph. I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control, because we have to understand that before Dr. Silkworth came out and said what he did, it was believed that alcoholism was a moral issue. You were weak, you were a sinner, et cetera, et cetera. But what he is saying and trying to explain again in this paragraph is that there's a physical aspect to this disease, that it is a disease and there's a physical and a mental portion to it. And in this disease, he's trying to explain the physical part. He's talking about these men who have been sober for a period of months. They've been sober. They've got a project. They're a business deal they're working on. They're looking forward to it. Things are going well. Now, he doesn't go into the mental obsession here, but what he's trying to bring out is a physical allergy here. He says, for some reason, and that's the mental obsession we know, they take a drink prior, uh, a day or so prior to the date. And then what he wants us to fully understand is this phenomenon of craving. We're sober, we take a bite of our allergic food, and it sets off this phenomenon of craving, craving, intensely wanting. Once I ingest a binge food, it sets off this allergy, this physical abnormality in my body, and I am on the roller coaster, and I cannot stop. The physical allergy is driving me here. And the more I have, the more I want. It gives me a craving of more, more, more. And that's what he's trying to get across, that these alcoholics at this point are not drinking because they're weak or whatever. They're drinking because they have to. 
because the alcohol has set up the abnormal reaction that only they, only we as compulsive overeaters have. Normal people do not have this. And when we set this off, we have, we have to drink. We have to eat. And nothing's going to stop us because of this phenomenon of craving. So he's trying to point this across, that there is a definite physical portion to this disease. And that's what it is. And how do, we, how do we stop that? It's called putting the alcohol down. It's called putting your binge foods down. And if you're not ingesting alcohol or ingesting food or drinking alcohol, you're not going to set off this craving. And, of course, we all know then we have to deal with the obsession of the mind. But this is really important, he says, to understand that we do have this physical part of this disease. And we have to understand this. That that's why it's so important we must put down the binge foods. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. And Katie G? Good morning, everyone. Katie G, Recovered Compulsive Lower Eater. And, um, yeah, I mean, this is really where I was taught that you know, food is my drug of no choice, right? So when I when I put that food, I mean, how many weddings, how many funerals, how many family parties did I not show up to? I had been dieting for a while. I had been doing well. I had been thinking my positive thoughts and staying away from the foods and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, a day or so before the event, I take a bite and I don't have a choice. I was continuing, I would start eating with such a vengeance and not eating because I wanted to, eating because I had to. I remember waking up in the middle of the night and feeling forced, compelled because of this phenomenon of craving that I had ignited. And I have food in my mouth and I'm, I'm going out to get more. I'm going out to get more and not because I have a choice. And not because I want to, but because I have to. So missing weddings, missing funerals, missing missing out on life. And not, you know, I, I often say, you know, the eating is a step up from how I feel about myself. But as, as Monica so clearly articulated, it, it, it isn't about that, right? It's about that specific, it is about that. But what we're talking about here is that specific allergy, that drinking to overcome a craving. There's nothing else I can do and there's no human power and there's nobody that I am going to stop for. I am going to go to the ends of the earth to get the food because it is a physical allergy and that is why I have to be so black and white with the food. That's why I don't slip and slide. That's why I have a black and white food plan because I am a low bottom drunk and if I pick up that food again, I don't know where it's going to take me. And I don't have, an, it doesn't matter how much mental control or willpower or people in my life who love me that are standing right there. I will not stop until I am done. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie. Uh, Kim? Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And uh, Monica and Kate did such a wonderful job about what happened after we take that first bite. So I'm going to concentrate on this sentence that talks about before we take that first bite. So the sentence says, I have had many men who had, for example, worked a period of months on some problem or business deal which was to be settled on a certain date favorable to them. You know, this busts that delusion. That delusion must be smashed. That I thought, if only I get things my way, then I won't eat. 
you know, that, that delusion that unfortunately is taught in the, in the rooms that this is an emotional illness. And if I can get my emotions under control, if I can do things that make me feel good, have good emotions, then I am not going to eat. The other thing that's taught in the fellowship, well, just avoid people, places, and things. Now, that might be necessary and is most likely absolutely necessary as we go through the process. But if that is your program, that you're simply going to avoid people, places, and things and not work the 12 steps, they're telling us here, things were going their way. It was happening favorable to them. And he still picked up. That delusion, that delusion came through again that he can eat or drink like a normal person. I have that delusion. If I only get the right boyfriend, then I won't eat. If only my parents treated me with the respect that I deserved, I won't eat. You know, that's on page 61, one of my favorite lines in step three. Am I not a victim of the delusion that I can have satisfaction and happiness out of this world if only I manage well? So it's saying here, I had to look at the evidence, and I want you guys to ask yourself this question. When you were in a good relationship, did you eat? I did. When you were in a bad relationship, did you eat? I did. When I had lots of money, did I eat? Yes. When I had no money, did I eat? Yes. When I had a good job, did I eat? Yes. And when I was unemployed, did I eat? Yes. So when I concentrate on trying to make an outcome favorable to me, and that's going to allow me to control and enjoy my eating, that is a delusion. So these psychiatrists were saying we were setting them up so that life was more manageable, and they still drank. And that just reminds me, I was a professional bridesmaid in my 20s, and I would diet my way down so I would look in that dress, and a couple weeks before, at the bachelorette party, I would make that exception because you know what? I'm close to gold weight. The dress is fitting good. Of course that makes sense to make that exception. And just as Monica and Katie so beautifully put, at that point, I was off to the races and I was lucky if I fit in the dress by the time the wedding happened. But that is a physically mandated biological thing with my body. That is not a choice. But the question is, why when things were going favorable to me, favorable, was I still making that decision? So we have to look at that. We have to smash that delusion. People, places, and things is not a program. Managing our emotions is not a program. Physical disease handled with abstinence. Mental disease handled with steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? I'll jump in real quick. Um, my name is Julie. I'd like to share. Okay, go ahead. Uh, this is Sarah. Uh, oh. Was this Sarah? Oh. Was there someone ahead, before Sarah. me? No, go ahead. Okay, oh, all right. Um, I'm grateful to cover compulsive overeater. Um, I just was thinking about the gift of desperation, you know, that it is so important to get to the point where we really are, are willing to surrender, truly surrender. And, um, you know, it takes what it takes, and we can't do it for somebody else. 
um, the idea that um, we, we sincerely want to help somebody, but it really does have to be the willingness has to come from the person that wants the recovery, but it really does take a true change in heart and in mind and the way we think and the way we look at life completely. Um, you know, I love the humility that the physician has. You know, I work with physicians, and and to for him to say that it was beyond his aid, that he couldn't do anything, um, to help them, you know, really takes a lot of humility. And I think it takes a lot of humility as a sponsor to say, you know, um, I I can't do this for you. You know, this is this is a a, a much bigger thing than than I'm capable of helping you with. Um, and keep on going back to God. But sitting on our hands in the process of getting abstinent is such a difficult thing for people. And that remorse that comes over people when they have taken that first bite, it it really gets down to not only the binge foods, but it gets down to the behaviors around the food, Um, the actual buying of the food, the actual, um, you know, going to places that are, you know, in the beginning, going to places that are going to really uh, set up us for the mental obsession to start. But, you know, one is too many and a thousand is not enough really is what comes into my mind about this. It it was never enough, Um, you know, as was stated. um, It's not a pretty picture, but to have the food kind of coming out of your mouth, you know, to to purge because it's just too much, um, to be at the place where you're aspirating, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're ingesting and you're laying down at night and the food is coming up, all those things are things that we do. And that gets us to the place where hopefully we say to ourselves, I am addicted. This is a true addiction. And then to get to the place where we have to do the double whammy and look at, you know, both parts of the first step and and admitting that, (laughs) you know, not only am I addicted to the food, but my life is completely insane. And, and, And put our hands up and just say, I'm ready for the change. Help me, please, dear God. And it is it is possible for all of us to recover one day at a time. And I'm so grateful for that. And I'm grateful for all of you who do the service. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. This is Julia, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in California. And, you know, there's so much in this paragraph, and everybody has said what I wanted to say. The last sentence, these men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. And, you know, it, it, it happens way before I pick up. It's like when I get that thought, but then that thought turns into that obsession. And all I know is that obsession. I don't know anything else. And that's where I'm driven, driven to pick up. And once I do, I, it's over because I can't stop. And I love, I love that because it says their control, meaning my control. You know, I am a successful businesswoman, and I have done a lot of things in my life, but control, my control, has nothing to do with this disease. And they are controlled. But once I find a power greater than myself, once that I have a real relationship with my God, then that's when my recovery starts. And somebody who... um, you know, eight, 10,000 calories at a sitting 
somebody who was 150 pounds overweight, somebody who uh, binged and purged all day long at her will, now able to bake cookies or this is my truth or, you know, be at dinner parties and I bring my own weight and measured food because it's not an issue. I, it's neutral and it's amazing because um, just living with that phenomenon of craving where I cannot stop no matter what, uh, this is a powerful, powerful program and um, we could all become recovered by working the steps that are outlined in this big book. So with that, I'll pass. Um, do we have anyone else who would like to share? We could move on. To this is Sharon. Day. May I share? Yes, you may, Sharon. Thank you, Julie, and thank you for everyone who has shared out on the line today. And I just wanted to, um, again, state, too, these men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. And that's part of this disease, that it is so cunning, baffling, and powerful. And uh, one of the uh, special edition speakers that spoke in July of 2013, (coughs) excuse me, gave the definition of compulsion, an irresistible impulse, unable to resist. And I just couldn't relate so easily to that because, for so many years, I too thought, well, if if this was in my life and this wasn't in my life or if I had this or I didn't have to deal with that, then that would be the answer and I wouldn't, um, you know, I would stay stopped and I was one of those who could not. So uh, when I see that this is an irresistible impulse and then the obsession that um, an idea that overcomes all other ideas and then the minute that that... Um, food, whatever I ingest that my body absolutely cannot tolerate keeps me in that vicious cycle of addiction. And um, so to me, that's pretty much too what he's talking about is that, um, you know, this irresistible impulse because otherwise, um, you know, like you would think, oh, well, if things are going favorably, I certainly wouldn't want to do that but it has nothing to do with that. And only uh, a higher power can restore that um, impulse to do something that we don't want to do and uh, also overcome the idea that at this time it will be different. So I'm just so grateful to everybody out on the line today and everything that they have shared. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone else like to share? Lisa? Yeah, this is Lorna Hi. Bronx, okay, we have Lisa and was there a Laura? Lorna, L-O-R-N-A. Lorna. Okay, go ahead, Lisa, and then Lorna. Yeah, hi, I'm Lisa. I'm a compulsive overeater and uh, recovered. Um, I'm just really grateful that um, God has done for me what I could not do for myself because I think for me, I, I love to sabotage my life. And it wasn't something that I was consciously doing, but my lower power would laugh. He would laugh when I would go out and eat again and destroy my family life again and go on rants and raves again because I did not have that control. I went on all kinds of diets. If it was organic, somehow it being organic, it was going to be okay. And go on those food binge at the health food store. Go buy all that uh, sweet, sugary, uh, brown stuff 
that's frozen at the health food store and the fact that it was organic, somehow that was going to make it okay. And the, um, they were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. Um, the, the brokenness in me that God, only God could fill up, and he fills that up every day, is, is, was way, way beyond anything that I could do through mental control or through psychologists, therapists, naturopaths, chiropractors. I've done everything, I think, out there on the planet that if I could just get the right therapist, the right doctor, if they could just make it all better. And I spent a lot, a lot of money. But it's only by getting on my knees and surrendering, okay, God, do for me what I cannot do for myself, that I am able to, you know, be absent now for six years. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. And Lorna? Oh, hi. This is Lorna in the Bronx. Um, I'm a new OA member. Can you hear me okay? Because I've got a new listening device here. We can't hear you. Okay, sorry. Okay. Is this okay now? Oh, that's much better. Thank you. Okay, sorry about that. Um, This is Lorna in the Bronx. I'm a new OA member since September 28th. And... um, First of all, I really thank you all for this telephone meeting. It's amazing, and uh, this is the third time I've been on this 7 a.m. meeting. Um, And thank you all so much to all of you all who uh, called me. I haven't been able to answer all the calls of people that were so supportive. But um, these two readings this morning are really amazing. I think it relates to one of the steps. I'm sorry, I'm not so conversant with all of the numbers yet, but uh, the step about uh, taking a moral inventory because this doctor uh, was so humble and so sincere to say he couldn't fix everything and uh, didn't understand everything. And that also relates, I mean, for me, that really relates to my personal life. I don't understand everything and I can't, do everything, and um, I'm still dealing with overeating. Uh, Sometimes I'm doing very well, and uh, there were some days uh, that were really challenging, and I gave in to uh, different kinds of food that I hadn't planned to eat. But um, anyway, uh, as you said, uh, our higher power really has our back, and he cares deeply about our happiness and our everyday experience wants it to be happy. Uh, This morning, our higher power whispered a couple of amazing quotes to me that I had actually forgotten from the Bible. One is, uh, desire fulfilled is the tree of life, and the other one is, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I took this to mean that um, if I'm doing something that's sabotaging my life, then I'm crushing my own hope. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lorna. Uh, we have time for one more Hiya. share. Haya, go ahead. Hi, Julie. Thank you. Hi, everybody. This is Haya Recovered, very grateful, Recovered Compulsive Eater and Bulimic in Dallas, Texas, soon to be Denver. Um, first of all, I want to welcome the new people, the newcomers. I'm so glad you're here. Um, what I... You know, what strikes me about what we're reading this morning and people have been, you know, alluding to it is, you know, what, what he's describing here is, is when the, 
the drinking has not been going on. You know, the people are, are, are without the drink. Things are going well. They're working on a business deal. And then, and it's going favorably, as Kim shared. And then, for well, actually, I'm not sure if they're actually not drinking at this point, but there's two things that go on. One is when we're abstaining and then we have all of a sudden that thought to drink, and then the phenomenon of craving begins. And the other is when we're drinking, not understanding why we can't stop, and that's because there's a phenomenon of craving. And so they're driving home here these, these two ideas, that we have this physical allergy. When the stuff is in me, I am not satisfied until I have more. I did not understand why when I was in college, and we went to an ice cream store, and then we went bowling. Everybody was on to bowling, and I was still thinking about the ice cream. I didn't understand why when we were out to dinner and we had this and that and drinking and eating and eating sugar and all sorts of things, and then I came home. Everybody else was ready to go to sleep. I came home, and I was at the refrigerator. I did not understand that I was being driven by a physical allergy, and it was only through this chapter and understanding the physical, the physical drive that happens to me, the compulsion, because I, that's, that is how the allergy manifests itself in me as a compulsive eater. I am less satisfied after the first bite than before the first bite. But the other piece that we know we're going to deal with is the mental part that when we are abstaining, the part that makes us want to go back, and we read about it, I believe, yesterday, you know, where we where, you know, eventually we get restless, cerebral, and discontent, and then we pick up, and then we're back in the, in the uh, compulsion. So it's a very, very, very insidious disease with two very specific parts, and I'm so grateful that both through these pages um, I have been able to gain an understanding of what the problem is, because if I don't know what my problem is, I don't know how to seek out a solution. Um, if I don't know what the problem is, I don't know what the solution needs to be. Um, and that's what this book is going to do for us. So if you're new, stay tuned. Um, there really is a solution, and it is not avoiding people, places, and things. I can go anywhere, the book tells me, and my life tells me. I can go anywhere today if I'm in fit spiritual condition. And how did I get in fit spiritual condition? I hope to think that I try on a daily basis to stay that way is through these steps. Thank you. Thank you, Haya. Uh, it's time to close our meeting. I'd like to thank everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And will Sharon R.S. please read a vision for you? Our book is meant to be suggestive, suggestive only. Yes. Good morning, Julie. Good morning to all on the line. This is Sharon, a gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answer will come. If your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got, see to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him 
and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of this spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.